Hello and welcome to the Impact Investing in Tech podcast. Today, I'm really excited to be here with a very, very special guest. The name is uh, Genevieve Levey. And well, she's a great, great woman and a great friend of mine. So, uh, well, just a few words about her and then we'll start to chat. Uh, she is, um, well, co-founder of uh, Ledger and uh, she has done so many, many things. Uh, she is, uh, she has more than 25 years experience uh, with large corporation and banks in financial supply chain optimization. Uh, she got a lot of awards, uh, like, for example, uh, Woman in IT Awards in 2016. Um, Woman in uh, FinTech uh, Power List uh, by Innovate Finance in 2017, and a lot, a lot of more. So she is great. <laughs> and I can wait to start, uh, well, this interview and uh, let you all know a lot of more about her as well. So welcome, Genevieve. <laughs> Thank you. It's good to be here with you, Eliza, even though it's too many, too many miles away. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> so, um, well, uh, Genevieve, just uh, start uh, with you. What about, uh, well, how you start uh, about your passion in impact and technology? Just tell us a little bit more. Sure. Um, what I, you know, when you're traveling so much as I do, sometimes you sit in the plane and you can't do anything. You start thinking about why, why are you there and what are you doing? Mostly in the last, I think the last three years, and I can probably relate. I'm probably not going to be the only one relating to this. Many impact people have found it difficult. First, you couldn't reach the people that you wanted to impact or the mechanism by which you need to do it, which is funding were very difficult to come by. And unfortunately, the world has been topsy-turvy for the last three years. We thought we were out of COVID, and now we're not. But really, what keeps me going is knowing that we can use technology nowadays to really make a difference in people's life, to help them to get to a better life, not having to be stuck in what Ever it is. And also, um, for me, I got into agriculture because food is a passion of mine. I mean, absolutely love food. But I thought it was more, I found the technology and I said, well, this is great technology. How am I going to use it in a way that I find very interesting? It was either traveling or it was food. And food, I thought, I'm special in that. I have such an affinity and love for it. But at the end of the day, everyone must eat. If you don't eat, you're dead. If you have bad food, you, you can, it also can kill you. So it was something that I thought was very impactful. But then when we looked at it as a business model, it is very fractionalized. And when we read the the work of the UN and FAO and the World Bank, you start realizing that 80% of our food, 80% of the people, about 60 to 70% of our food come from smallholder farmers, people who are living below the poverty line in many countries. And 
this technology, call it Web3, call it decentralized, whatever, created a mechanism through its properties to create a new trust factor. Trust factor used to exist. Um, the tr- you know, smallholder farmers used to be the pillar and the center, or in, the, in the Haiti they call uh, something called um, a, a, the, the pole in the middle. And they used to be the pole in the middle, which fed the whole of the society. And as a result, were kept also in a way that was equal so that they could continue to survive, prosper, and continue to feed. But nowadays, we have this very unbalanced system going on. And there's an opportunity to technology and to knowledge dissemination of creating better society for everyone. I love that. Wow. <laughs> I mean, um, I know that you are working Uh, well, it's been a while that you're working on this project and, and you're so passionate uh, about it. Um, could you maybe explain a little bit more how it works? So how do you reach the farmers and what you are doing with AgriLedger to, um, well, to really make an impact uh, through blockchain? Yeah, sure. Um, started 2016, so it's been a while now. But I think that uh, we talk about a lot about pivoting. And I think I pivoted and in a very good way. I did a lot of time looking at many things such as rice in China. We did some work looking at uh, with previous partners at uh, Africa. And, and that model, it was going ourselves to the farmers. And I never thought that would be the right model to do, to go ourselves you know, directly to the farmers. But to go with a consortium with the farmers was where it worked. So when we did the Haitian project, this was a project which was sponsored by the World Bank for the Haitian government. And the idea was, how do you uplift the bottom 40%, which happened to be smallholder farmers? So it really was looking about what commodities do they have? And they looked at everything across. What is a commodity? What is the need for that commodity? What is the demand for that, that commodity? Who are the players in that value chain? And how do you de-risk the value chain so that everyone now, so you de-risk it in many ways. First of all, you remove unnecessary intermediaries. So we like to say sometimes in blockchain that you remove all intermediaries. That's impossible because to scale, you need help. You need to be able to have somebody that takes over some of the tasks and that they're able to do those tasks at scale in much greater quantity than two or three of us doing the same task, that one person does it for the two or three of us. That could be transportation, could be transformation. So what we did is working with extension services, which I think is very necessary to have in agriculture. Sometimes it can be a co-op, but an extension service is really somebody who's looking out for the right of the farmer, understanding what the market demands are, and also what its quality looks like. So they work with the farmer to understand when's the time to harvest, what is the quality, and then getting it to the pickup area and the pickup, then getting it to market. Because of that, you have a traceability of where it came from, how it was handled, the environmental temperature, all of those things. But also you get to see 
the first mile, what is actually given to the farmer. So not only are you getting governance, but you're also getting a social equity. And then what it goes through, you then you as a consumer can actually see not only where did it come from, which means you could, that could be translated to environmental impact, food miles. But also you can see how much went into each branch. So many a time we don't fully understand what we're buying, what cost went in to get it to us and what, who got what. And what we found is that when the middle layer, the logistics person or the exporter, they had a risk to the farmer in that they were no trust of what the farmer was giving them being of quality. So they discounted it by 40%. The farmer discounted by 50 because they couldn't be assured that the money would come to them. This is something which is a developing, non-developed world problem because in the developed world, in, we have the law against us. So if I'm a farmer and I give it to you as an exporter, I have a contract. You sure. realize what, you know, there is a written contract of how much I gave you, and then there's an obligation. Obviously, I still have a risk that things could go wrong, and that's where insurance comes in, but it's much more clearer than a guy in the bush somewhere giving his good to someone and then hoping that person's going to come back with their money and that person taking it, hoping that the information, like the sack of wheat doesn't have some rocks in there in order to get the weight. So this lack of trust, you start creating that, that trust between these uh, individuals, which then for us as consumers, allow us to actually have a better visualization of what we're paying for. So if you decide in New York City that you're paying for a mango that came from Haiti, you know that mango came from Haiti, you know the food mouth, and you also know how much has gone to the farmer. What we found was the challenge was the lack of liquidity in the system. Unfortunately, because of the opacity, which has always existed in agricultural uh, environment, investments are only 10% in the whole agricultural. And most of them, you will find them to be in um, sort of vertical farming. So something which you can see, you can control, you have control of, and there's a lot of technology involved. But where there's lack of technology, there's lack of knowledge. So we're hoping to create more circular funding, which allows, so this is something that we're gonna get to do finally, which is we're going, we just got a, a piece of work that we're gonna do where you create the circular funding and you use that to fund the farmer and the operation waiting for the money to come in. And that way you pay back the farmers, but the fund itself can actually make money. And the fund can also then make sure that the farmers are getting at least a three to four X from where they were before. So if we can achieve those things, it will definitely, because actually a one X according to the UN and FAO would be above what they're expecting. They expect about 30% increase. Oh, so wow. The project we did with the World Bank, they talked in the paper that they did 
that they had expected a 15% uplift and they saw things in the two, 300%. So, you know, you're definitely changing people's life at that point. So it's really about, and also the difference of what we do is we treat everything like a commodity. And that must be my financial background. <laughs> so it doesn't matter what it is. It is also then about processes. So I also say that technology is not just the, the thing that goes zing zing. It is about the, the steps that need to be followed. So we need to take off processes as a form of technology, which then create certain outcomes. And those outcomes can then be measured to denote quality or failure. And if you can get to that, you can then give parameters to people of how does, what does success look like. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, you are doing a, an, an amazing, uh, an amazing job. So basically, uh, you're putting together technology and real words uh, to uh, get uh, a fair uh, payment to the farmer and easier uh, way to get paid, basically. Yes, and the payment is basically um, they get to choose how they get paid. Do they want cash? Obviously, you want to move them away from cash. But for many, they don't have, there's some who will not have the mechanism to actually use mobile. So we are looking at ways of creating the digital wallet, which is, this is the next thing we're looking at. How do you create a digital wallet, which is very much using USDA, USSD, Yeah. So that your digital wallet is sitting on, on chain. And if you decide to, you can actually pull it down. Now, obviously this scares me because I'm going, security issues are going to be high. How do you um, validate those things? But ideally, it's sort of like going, how do you enable someone without a smartphone to have access to a wallet and then to that wallet? And we kind of do, you know I mean? When I have my phone um, in, let's say, Nigeria or even the Dominican Republic, I have a balance in my account and I can use certain codes to see what my balance is. And I can then add minutes or I can uh, even gift those minutes. And so this is the idea that we want to get to them to where they start using. So there's a part of education that needs to happen. So it's a very long process in terms of that. And That is not something that I see myself only doing. So as such, for me, the impact is also the rest of the community. How do you involve the community to understand what's going on? It's not about understanding the technology, but it's about understanding the outcomes of the technology and curiosity on that. So very much like the internet at the beginning, no one kind of understood it, but to then say, oh, you go into this window, you do a search and it comes out with all this information. That was Google. <laughs> and so I see, I know, I mean, it might be bold of me to say, but I see us becoming a de facto agricultural blockchain solution. I welcome others also to participate in it because I want to stay in my swing lane. And some of those swing lanes are really going to be, how do we enable smallholders to have access? Because the big companies 
have their systems and they're pretty well, they have system both systematically and functionally also. And those functional systems really allow them to be prosperous. And this is really about bringing prosperity at those levels. And I don't even say fair, because fair may not be fair, because the cost, as I said, the cost of transformation or transportation may be so high that the portion that retained that's retained by the farmer is much lower. So therefore, it has to be where it's fair and that individual is able to daily wake up and do their job happily without having to worry what will happen if there is an emergency. And if we can get, you know, we have so much money sitting doing nothing around the world. If we can make it to where we make this become more like a regular job, regular money, regular timing. I don't need to wait three months for a harvest to have money. And I don't need to worry about keeping enough for those three months so I can eat that I know I have, we can do those things. And that's where I'm working with others to where we can actually start taking AI and figuring out what is the amount that we can disperse at times and then gamifying it in ways so that you get information from the farmer and then you can use that to compensate them. So the same thing as you show up to work, you get a paycheck. <laughs> you don't show up, yes. no paycheck. Oh, yeah, 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 absolutely, absolutely. So uh, what do you think is the main um, challenge uh, in, in your case? Uh, uh-huh. It's about the f- farmers, uh, the trust of the farmers. It's about the system. What is the main challenge for you? I'm, I'm not having to deal on the one-on-one with the farmer. I'm having intermediaries who are working with the farmers who already have the trust of the farmers. And up to now, we haven't really given any software to the farmers. We've given information, communication, communication. This is how much you deliver. This is where it is. This is how much you're getting. Mm-hmm. So where once you have that, you can then start going and saying, okay, this is how you interact. You need to have a phone to be able to interact. And what we found was that The, the farmers, which were part of the Haitian uh, project, came back and said, when are you going to start it again? Because obviously they did well, so they want to see it again. Um, I think the challenge is actually more conceptual because when we do technology or we try to disrupt, we always want to be disrupting in a very small community or a very small group. So I'm being, I've been challenged, and I do believe that what we do can help the exporter become more of a logistic service provider, a service provider to rather than a buyer. But that takes a shift because people's mindset has to go from, oh, I made this much mm-hmm. to I made this much because I have a bigger spread. They don't see this bigger spread right away because they, they lose control. And so that lack of control is something that you have to demonstrate. And so we're doing it with organizations which believe in equitable and fair distribution of wealth and understand that if I distribute equally, I then have a trusted partner because you need the farmer to be able to export something. 
If you don't have a farmer, you have nothing to export. And mostly in some of those places, you go and you try and do it. They'll come and destroy it for you. Mm. And you can never, so it becomes a very negative circular. So now if you can work with them, so in ways we are looking for what used to be called middlemen, but they're not middlemen. And this is also the other thing. A lot of them feel maligned. They go, well, you're telling me I'm bad. So therefore I'm going to act bad. We need to work with them together to not only provide the financing to the farmer, but provide the financing to that middle layer. So my uh, observation of impact investing has been that we do impact investing in the technology companies who are purposely bringing some solution. We do impact investing in form of IDOs, NGOs, in the smallholder farmers, in the poor, but we forget the middle layer. We don't prop them up. We actually create for them this negativeness because they're left. It's like, like the middle child. If you ignore the middle child, they stop being the pain in the neck in the family. Versus if you start working and understanding their challenges and their biggest challenge is actually liquidity because they take what they have as liquidity to buy the goods. And then they have a risk to the quality that's given to them. They have a risk to the transportation and then they have a risk to the market. So if you can level those things out and also make sure that they can have access to either their liquidity, their capital that they create or extra capital for improvements, then you have a much more happier, uh, you know, the happy path starts happening because <laughs> you have unhappy path when you break break the side you know, the silos basically so it's really about to take care of all the uh all the step of the chain not just the the last step not just just the technology not just the farmer itself but all the chain all the chain and it's really and i think with blockchain you have the opportunity to create transparency across all of them and understanding where the challenges are so if the transportation is rickety and is bad, it's going to take time to get it to where it's to the, to the pack house that can create, if it, if the truck breaks down, there's no uh, cold anymore, which means everything which was in there goes bad. So you just lost yes. all the things. So making sure the maintenance and all those things are in place is as important as getting the farmer a good price and getting it to market. So we need to really look at what are the pain points and use the financing to bring that. And then you start seeing people accepting because they're going, you know what? Now I can take my money and do things for my business, which are good for my business and grow my business versus I have to take the cash and spend it on X, Y, Z. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's a, uh, well, i mean it, it's a huge huge job uh to do and and it's so so spread in the world so uh which are the the main area for you right now and and which is the the area that you want to go into so uh, in terms of what we are doing ourselves we are working on a project in tanzania um it has its own challenges and i think you know i'm i'm not keen to be on the ground 
because we did, we were able to show with the Haitian program that we didn't need to be on the ground because the World Bank and the Haitian government had people on the ground moving things. We are having a challenge there and I'm having to rethink how we, we handle it. And it's really project governance is really becoming the key challenge there that I'm trying to put in. And we're about to start a new project in Haiti. And this time we're looking at stable crops such as peas and corn and really looking not so much at the export market, but that even the, the changes and effect that you can have in the in, in, in like in-country market. And then once you have that done, you can look at how do you get the certification and information that needed to take it to export market. Um, and then in terms of others, I am collaborating on other projects. So we, we have, we're waiting for something in the US and there that's really taking us into a different direction. Um, and also in Italy, both of them, it will be Italy, Spain, and UK. Both of them, what I found was that you need to look at develop versus developing nation differently. In the developing nation, it's really a financial aspect. It's, that's the impact issue. Then you can move them up the, the ladder with other things. But in the countries where it's developed economies, such as the US, Europe, it's more evidencing what the farmer has done and evidencing the quality and the techniques that have been followed in order to get value out. So in, um, we're looking at something around wine, which is really about the art of making the wine, which involves everything from the water tables, the biome in the, in the, in the dirt, uh, and taking all that data to then conform to say, this is where this bottle came. So of course you have the stuff like location and everything else, winery, all those metadata, but additional metadata, which guarantees that this wine came from this place and it's going to be of this quality. So she's really looking at high quality. And there, this is working with the farmers, with the buyers and even the wineries, the, the big wineries. So because what people don't understand is the big wineries buy a lot of their, their wine, their, their grapes from smaller wineries. So that is also even looking at the idea of NFTs, you know, uh, yes. do you NFT the wine? So which things that I think are further down the road. In the US, it's about creating what's been called a smart commodity label, which is around how do you denote that a farmer has done all the climate safe, climate good, climate, you know, like say less water using uh, biochar and or using solar to actually create a product which is now climate safe or climate uh, positive and then giving those products that he or she has created greater value and to that greater value, actually getting them a price. But then when you sit down and think about it, they're also generating green gas emission. And it is not something new I found out. I was talking to someone and the brands in some of the coffee brands are actually 
uh, compensating farmers in coffee industry for creating green gas offsets. Oh, wow. And, and that's how they're getting their coffee to be net zero. Mm. But I'm going, is that offset price fair? Mm. Is it market price? We don't have an idea. But that farmer also, unless there is a mechanism to capture this and to voluntarily register this, he or she only has the brand as a client. So I think we need, you know, we've been, we see a lot of things around offset projects, but there is a very big opportunity in agriculture and being able to empower the farmers themselves to be able to get their uh, carbon offset into uh, the market and getting a fair market price. Market prices are anywhere from 15 to $85 a credit. Yes. So somebody, so. <laughs> somebody's making money. But um, I think this, you know, there's a lot of more work to be done and a lot more knowledge to gather. And also realizing that a farmer in Haiti is not the same as a farmer in, let's say, the Dominican Republic, which is the same island, or the same as a farmer in Ireland or in um, India. We have to understand the norms and then fit. It's not fit the technology per se, but fit the pieces of the technology in the way that they need to. So that's why our next foray is really making the, the software more modular so that it's a plug and play. You take the pieces that you need and add them and also have the possibility of grabbing something later if you should need it. Oh, wow. <laughs> Again, amazing work. And, uh, um, and I'm really fascinated uh, about the fact that uh, nowadays, basically, um, through the, uh, the carbon certificate, you can really incentivize uh, all the agriculture, uh, all the green all over the world, not just the agriculture. And, and basically, um, if you find the right way to uh, certificate uh, what is happening in terms of, uh, again, uh, offset and all this, uh, this stuff, um, you can basically uh, keep alive a lot of uh, uh, well uh, greens area a lot of agriculture area that otherwise uh, they are destined to be uh, to be left uh, uh, unused because they don't make enough money maybe to to survive just with agriculture uh, and and all this stuff so I really see it as as a win-win situation and uh, and well, uh, I don't know how much will takes to to get there in terms of certification and all these these things. Maybe it's something that you you I'm sure it's something that you know <laughs> more yeah. than me. Uh, what happens is that I think we need to get to where certification is based on data. Mm. Certification technically is based on data, but we then require a piece of paper or we require somebody to certify or verify. So I think right now the race is on. Mm. Things are bad, but what's not bad is the green space and the greenwashing, I still say. There's a lot of greenwashing. So like everything else, there is always going to be an opportunity, like what we were talking about. It's a wild, wild west right now, so you're going to see 
a lot of bad things and you're going to see a lot of good things. And it's something, you're right, um, we're starting to see the race in agriculture also because there's an understanding that actually, if it's not an understanding, agriculture is responsible for almost 25% of green gas emission. Mm. So much more than transport, all transportation put together. And so you need to reduce this, but also where a lot of it is coming from is not actually from agriculture in itself, it's from the waste. Oh yeah. We produce 1.6 tons of waste and that's creating a lot of green gas emission. So if you can reduce the waste, if you can start getting to understand where things are, you can then get to a much more, um, I don't want to say distributed system. It's, it's a much more better uh, transparency to what's going on and where the problems are and trying to address them. I don't know if we get, need to get more people in the agriculture. We just need to get the ones who are there to be able to survive from it and not be forced to overproduce in order to make money. So we need to get that balance right. And that balance could be through the green gas offset, you know, the carbon offset, whereby they're getting compensated also to the, so they get two products instead of one product, they're getting two products, one which is the food and the other one, which is the carbon offset. And those two give them enough of an income to be able to survive. We need to get, you know, like I say, tilling is bad for the earth. So if you don't till, then your yield may not be as high. The fundamental challenge that, we have, that I have with a lot of what I see in agricultural tech, it's about increasing yield. We need to get to where the yield that is done is enough so that the person can actually survive from it and we don't have waste. So that means we need to know what there is, what is disposable and where it's at without people hoarding it, which is another problem. You have hoarding, you have people holding it hostage to then get a higher price. So all these aspects, unfortunately, I don't think can be fixed by technology. It has to be a social aspect where people feel, comf feel comfortable. Technology helps you have knowledge of what's going on. And then it's just, I think, as human, when we get stressed, we tend to do things which are very much about preserving ourselves. And that preserving can be negative also at times. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's, um, again, it... <laughs> It's not easy, and and I, I am well. I mean, we are talking about solving one of the hugest <laughs> problem and challenge uh, that that we have uh, in in these days. So, uh, of course, it's not something that you can just uh, solve in a uh, in a minute or with just one technology. Uh, but it's um, it's amazing that well through. Blockchain to Web3 through all these new uh, new information, new technology, we can really uh, well get something done at least. Uh, the going to the right 
path. Uh, so how, how do you see this, uh, um, especially blockchain and Web3, um, uh, well, working into, into the uh, impact space in the, next, uh, in the next years? Do you think that will be the centerpiece? Uh, what is the, so, the role? So I think that we need to get to where the reality of what blockchain is Blockchain is what I call a special database. I get killed for saying it's a special database. <laughs> But it is using cryptography, in a sense, to create trust in how data is written and how data is captured and how data is preserved. And really, it's the preservation of data and the ability to add data rather than erase data. And knowing that data cannot be erased So from an impact standpoint, impact is about numbers. Impact is about seeing a difference through numbers and impact can be positive or negative. But if you see negative impact, you can then react. What's great is that there's finally a realization that it's not blockchain only, it's blockchain plus, 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 plus. And that plus is really what makes it work. Because if you just drop a blockchain, you can't do anything until you put a UI UX in front of it because it has no UI UX. That's why I say it's a database. So you need to have a front end. How you decide to have that front end and how you're writing data is very the fundamental difference of what's happening in many uh, solutions right now. We're still at the beginning. I mean, I think that we've done a lot of progress. We've gone very far, but It's moving, uh, it's moving faster. I think the last three years having people stuck at home has caused them to really inherently start thinking about how to make a difference and really creating more. And we've seen really a blowout of the art of the possible. We're also seeing much more use of AI. Uh, Fetch AI is a great example of machine learning to return information decision-making, which are then encapsulated back to the, the blockchain so you can understand why a decision was made and learn from it as we go along. So all of those things are very important. And the big one that is really going to change even more is this idea of self-sovereign identity. It's not so much just for the individual, is how can you trust a system if you don't know who is the player who's actually played in the system. So it becomes uh, that signature of the individual or the party which has done the work rather than being told so, so-and-so has done it. And even if that so-and-so is a bot, you then know it's someone which, or something which was authorized to make that move. And that's where I see it's going to be very much more important for impact because from an impact standpoint, you then will be able to look at what is being said to you and say, yes, that is the truth. Or no, there's a problem and we need to fix here. We need to adjust. We need to turn a lever. And I think that it's uh, as such, it's very important for the people in impact to lay down what are the parameters that they want to see and really work in tandem 
with the blockchain companies, with the blockchain providers, with the blockchain businesses to say, this is the kind of data you need to also be capturing in order to provide us with that assurance. Because right now, like I spoke to one company, which I think are doing great stuff, but they said to me, what they're capturing is proof of an action taking place, which is great. But I believe if we can capture all data, relevant or non-relevant, it then becomes very much like runes. When you take runes and you throw them, they tell you a story. Those mm. rocks tell your story. But you wouldn't have known the story if you, took, you picked two or three rocks and put them down. So you need to be able to lay it all and then make inferred uh, knowledge and decision based on what data you have there rather than just what has been captured. <laughs> That's something which can be difficult in terms of uh, um, if you use public blockchain because of the fact of gas fees. And even some of the ones who are coming in without gas fees, they still have, there is a cost somewhere. So you have to be able to understand how do you manage that cost and what is the value exactly to the impact? Do you need it to be all um, public, which means everybody can see it, or do you need certain information only to be available? Bug. <laughs> no worries. No, um, I mean, um, there is maybe also the, the challenge of then how to analyze this data, because once you get all this data together, especially if it's a huge volume of data, then you need to, well, have the right people there to analyze them. Uh, maybe some AI could help, uh, but I, I, I don't know, because um, I think it's, the, it's the data can be... An, um, You're right. You're right. The data can be too much, but this is the first time you get data that you can trust and that you can start doing the analysis on. So the, this is what I'm saying. It's no longer just about blockchain. It's blockchain plus. So you do need, in order to be effective, if you're, if, so blockchain for the purpose of an exchange of value does not need AI. Mm. It barely needs identity unless you start running into regulatory AML issues. So you don't need identity then. But blockchain, where you're capturing data that you've never had before, can give you insight into what's going on in the environment to help adjust. Why is it always failing at this point? Okay, we can concentrate as to why. Or is this step really needed? You start being able to make decision. And um, what happens is that that obviously requires you to use a permission blockchain because then you're using databases that you control. The nodes can be blockchain nodes and they can be data holding nodes. So um, you're correct that the next step is analyzing this data and seeing what it says to you. But that analysis can, can give you information, sense, can infer, let's say, what is the yield? This is what I expected it. This is how it deviated. So then when the deviation 
So if I have a farmer tells me I'm going to get X, I can look at before how many they said and then know the deviation that I should expect. Okay, this person always overestimates by 10%. This person overestimates by 20%. Because if you're doing logistics, that deviation could mean how many boxes do you have to capture the goods. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. It, so, it's, it's a game changer. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, game, it's a game changer. And that's why I think it's important to that it's not, as you say, we need to bring in the data scientists with us, the people who are looking at data. Because if we're going to make decisions based on data or make certification based on data, we need to understand. And that's also why you need to have the experts also, somebody who knows this is what needs to happen to get to the best yield or this is what needs to happen to get to the best outcome. So then that individual is what you, you're codifying, what they have said is being codified to then measure that you're reaching those aspects. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I mean, it's... Um... Again, it's a huge, huge job, uh, and and I love that uh, somebody like you. It, it's really taking um, care of it with all your passion and uh, and all your heart. It's not just about uh, business; it's also really about making an impact. But on the other side, you are really creating a. Um, a business model that works so it's it's an investment as well so there is a return of investment which is on all uh, all the levels so uh, money level uh, impact level and uh, and i what i personally um, love it's really that uh, it's not about having a label like an esg label or things like that uh, which sometimes is it can be just a label, uh, mm -hmm. but there is a lot of substance uh, in, in what we, you are doing. You are really changing things uh, in, a, in, in an entire sector. So it's, it's, that's huge. <laughs> I'm hoping, I'm praying, I'm, I'm working on it, I'm pushing. I mean, um, it's, I, I won't lie, there are days where you're like, okay, done, done, done. But then you, you get to see the nuggets that you have, you know, it was funny. I was talking to someone pretty high up there and they were saying to me, the last mile talking about the farmers. I said, no, 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 they are the first mile. That's where it starts, not where it ends. It's where the money ends, but they're the first one getting the food out. And without oh, yeah. that first mile, you can't make a fundamental difference. <laughs> and he wrote to me and he said, you know, I've started using that that term and it's important because if we understand that this is the first mile then we can start looking at making the impact and for me I think what's very important is also to realize I'm part of the journey I'm not the only journey so it's about bringing others with me on that journey and it's spreading that knowledge so that or that understanding or that language so that we can create the crescendo which allows for this change. Um, I'd say probably for me, part of the reason is I'm an immigrant who wishes, who's very thankful 
absolutely thankful for the experience I've gotten because I think that life would have been different if I hadn't had that experience and that opportunity. But I wish I had choice. I wish I had had a choice to stay in my country and then go out and visit. If I had stayed, I would have never been able to get out because the way things are in Haiti nowadays, you can't get visas. People think that you're just wanting to come and stay where they are versus like with an American passport, I go places and I'm welcome because they know I'm coming in spending money and I'm leaving. Mm. And that's something that you want to give to everyone, the opportunity to be able to um, experience, partake, and then go back home and enrich themselves and those who are near them with that knowledge, with that experience that they have gained. And with this technology, you know, I mean, I joke around the metaverse, but maybe that's what it will do. It will allow people to take that flight of fancy into a world which is far, far away, but still have the security of being home and being surrounded by one's loved one. Wow. <laughs> Oh, Geneviève. <laughs> well, I well, I, I really think that your experience is is great. Uh, I mean, um, I know that it wasn't always easy for you, and and I I'm not sure I fully understand because, um, well. I mean, I, I grow up in a different environment and, and sometimes I, um, I know that I can't fully understand uh, how difficult it can be for, for other people coming from other backgrounds. Um, but I really love the, the things that you are here to share this story and to help me and help <laughs> all the attendees to, to understand really how, how different can be and how we can make the difference uh, in the world. So thank you so much, Genevieve, really thank you. Thanks. And well, thank you again for being here today. And uh, I'm sure we are going to <laughs> invite you again <laughs> and talk again uh, about agriculture, about your experience and, uh, and how we can make the world better. <laughs> So thank you for being here today and for sharing all these amazing things with us. Hey, I really hope you enjoyed this interview. If you did, go to newsletter.impactintech.org and subscribe to our updates and videos. Spread the voice of Impact in Tech. Be part of the community. Let's make an impact together every day as we build up the Impact Nation. Mm -hmm.